With the heart, man believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. Don't miss that. So many people say, well, I believe that. And it's kind of a casual intellectual assent. He's not after that kind of belief. It is a heart belief. Believe in your heart. With the heart, man believes. It isn't just an intellectual assent. It involves the mind. It involves the emotions. It involves the will. It is a realization in the deepest core of your being that Jesus Christ died for you on your behalf. And it always leads to the tongue confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, Believing and Confessing. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Our heart is exposed by the law. In fact, it's very good to let uh, let the Bible tell us about the law because a law of righteousness is so common, it's so prevalent, there's such a tendency. I find that most people who reject Christ... The first thing that they say as they talk about what they're clinging to is their own righteousness found in some sort of meritorious law-keeping of one sort or another. And, you know, some cling right to the Ten Commandments, but today it's pretty fashionable to just cling to a few of them or, or whatever, but still cling to some sort of legal righteousness, some sort of law-attained salvation that's mythical, that the Scripture says no one attains to. Uh, listen to these. You might want to jot some, some of these references down, but I want us to just hear the testimony of the New Testament on this. Romans 3.20, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. 4.15 of Romans, the law brings about wrath. Chapter 7, verse 13, the law shows sin to be utterly Sinful. Second Corinthians 3, 7. The law is described as a ministry of death, not life. Death. Chapter 3, verse 9 of 2 Corinthians, a ministry of condemnation. The straight edge of the law shows me how crooked my life really is. It exposes me for what I am. Hebrews 7, 19. The law makes nothing perfect. I might add, it just shows forth the imperfections. You see, the law wasn't given to produce any kind of self-righteousness or self-hope. The law was given to produce self-despair. Self-despair. You see, it wasn't that the law was sinful. Romans 7, you remember we saw, the law is holy and righteous and good. The law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. Verse 14 of chapter 7. It wasn't that the law was weak. The problem is the weakness of my flesh, your flesh. What the law could not do, chapter 8, verse 3. What the law could not do, weak as it was, through the flesh. God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. Now, Paul has labored to explain this very thoroughly, individually, you might say, or to all mankind in Romans. Now he is wrestling with it one more time as he wrestles with Israel's stubborn unbelief and stubborn 
self-righteousness. You know, our Lord used the law exactly the same way, didn't he? Remember the, the young lawyer that came to him and uh, said, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, Jesus said, well, you know the law. And uh, what does it say to you? And he said, well, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, that's a good answer. Do this and you shall live. And he quoted Leviticus 18.5, same one that Paul uses here. Do this and live. And the guy said, and we're told, the Bible gives insight into the man's heart. This is in Luke 10, that he came testing Jesus, okay? He put the question to him as a test. It wasn't an honest question. But then we also told that he came wishing to justify himself. So wishing to justify himself... When he heard this, you can almost watch the wheels turning because when there's a legal righteousness, it's, it's like, what do I have to do? What are the, you know, what do I have to do to get out of this class? You ever taught a class where the kids say that? You know, it's always encouraging, you know. You, you're hoping to impart something. They say, what do we have to do to get out of this class? I mean, how many pages do I have to write? Twelve? Will you take eleven and a half? You know? And so when Jesus said, you know, that's a good answer. Love God and love your neighbors yourself. Well, but who's my neighbor? How many do I have to love anyway? You know, and that's when Jesus gave the great story of who your neighbor is and who proved to be a neighbor, the story of the Good Samaritan. Or you remember over in Matthew 19 when the fellow came to Jesus and asked basically the same thing. And uh, he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. And he gave them, he gave him the horizontal commandments. You know, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, honor your folks. He gave him the horizontal, he didn't mention the vertical ones, uh, the first few that are so crucial to understanding it. But Jesus just said, well, you know the commandments. And, and the guy had the gall to say, well, I, I've done that. <laughs> I've kept all those from my youth. So Jesus said, okay, uh, one more thing you lack. Go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor and you're going to have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. And you remember what the man did? We're told, and I looked it up in all three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you just look at what happened. His face fell. He went away grieved. He was extremely sad. When Jesus just said, eh, one more thing. Turn loose of all your stuff and follow me. He said, he fell, his face fell, he was very sad. Why? Because he was one, we're told, he was one who owned much property. He was extremely rich. We might turn that around, much property owned him. But uh, Jesus, you see, used the law to get at the heart and he'd expose the heart of man, and that's what the law does. Now, in contrast, in contrast to that, notice back in Romans 10 now, the righteousness of faith speaks thus, verse 6, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. The righteousness of faith says this, Negatively, the work has been done. It's finished. Positively, believe it. Believe it. And he quotes from Deuteronomy 30 now. And in Deuteronomy 30, it's a great chapter of Israel's restoration when God's going to circumcise their heart and bring them back into relationship with him. And he says, listen, 
Moses has given you this commandment. You've got it. You don't have to go looking for more, he would say to the Jews of Moses' day. Just walk with God. Love God and walk with God. And Paul takes it here and applies it to the situation with Israel and unbelief in his day. And he says to the Israel of his day, the work is accomplished. Christ came and did that. Don't go looking for more. He has accomplished the work of salvation. Believe it. Don't be looking, verse 6, to say, well, who will ascend into heaven? Don't be looking for Messiah. He came. And don't be thinking you need to raise Him from the dead. He arose. It is finished. Believe it. And the Scripture says to us today, it is finished. The Gospel is not something you have to attain and do. It's something that He did. And by the way, the Gospel is not obscure or complicated either. Uh, Just by way of application, there's going to be a lot of people... I was commenting to a friend just this week who witnesses a lot and uh, just uses lots of opportunities to tell people about Christ one way or another. And I said, boy, they're not going to have any excuse. And he looked at me. I said, you know what I'm saying? He said, yeah, I do. I, I hear you. There are a lot of people today who act as if, oh, it's so confusing. Listen, the word is near you. The word has been proclaimed. It's in your mouth and in your heart if you just listen up. If you just take the minimum amount of effort to hear what the Bible says, you would hear that Jesus Christ accomplished salvation for all who believe. He said, it is finished. And he says, believe me, take me at my word on this. You say, well, what do you mean by this, this word of faith? Well, look at what he says there, verse 8. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. What is that? Well, he explains, and he gives this simple, clear text. Thousands of people have come to know Jesus Christ right here at verse 9 and 10 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Here is the simple gospel. Here is the simple word of faith for Jew or Gentile alike. Notice, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, the deity of Jesus Christ, don't be saying, oh, we're going to have to go get him, as the Jews might say back in verse 6. No, don't be waiting for Messiah. He came. Confess that. Messiah, the Lord, our righteousness is here. He came. And then believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. There's nothing left to do. He conquered sin and death. And so if you want to parallel verse 9, you go back to verse 6 on who Jesus is and the, and verse 7, what he's done. He has been raised from the dead. Christ is accomplished at his person and his work. You see, faith in Christ is not a content-less faith. It's not, as a lot of people think of it today, a faith in faith. No, there's substance to our faith. He said, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, that's who He is, His deity, 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's what he did, his work. God became flesh and dwelt among us. Unless you believe, John 8, 24 says, that I am, Jesus said to the religionists of his day, unless you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. You must realize who he is. Confess him as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The great statement that God's work is finished, that he's satisfied, is that he raised Christ from the dead. How do I know for sure that I can proclaim forgiveness to you of any sin? Because Jesus said as the resurrected one, you go out and proclaim forgiveness of sins in my name. Our sin was placed in his body on the cross, and he died. The wages of sin is death. But God raised him up and marked him out as the Son of God. God furnished proof. Paul told the Athenians in seventh, chapter 17 of Acts, verse 31, God has furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. And I know that my sin is as far as the east is from the west because God took the one who became a curse on my behalf and he raised him from the dead. And I can tell you today, you can have complete forgiveness in Jesus Christ because he raised him from the dead. Now watch verse 10, kind of re-explain it. He says, for with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. Don't miss that. So many people say, well, I believe that. And it's kind of a casual intellectual assent. He's not after that kind of belief. I believe God exists. I believe Christ exists. I believe he's the son of God. I believe that he died. I believe whatever you tell me to believe. I'll just believe, you know. And people hang on to a faith that's just an intellectual assent. No, no. This is, look at verse 10, a belief in the heart. With the heart, man believes. He repeats it twice, verse 9 and 10. It is a heart belief. Believe in your heart. With the heart, man believes. It isn't just an intellectual ascent. It involves the mind. It involves the emotions. It involves the will. It is a realization in the deepest core of your being that Jesus Christ died for you on your behalf. And it always leads to a confession. Where there is heart belief, there will be the tongue confessing. Jesus Christ as Lord. And so he reiterates it in verse 10. And that's why I say these verses have been so used because they get to the heart of the issue. You believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. The very first evidence of heart faith is confession from the mouth. And Paul tells us here it leads to salvation. Now, let me underline five things as we close that need to be said. And we want to see this text in all its clarity and yet not misuse it or misapply this thing. So when we're talking about believing and confessing in the Scripture, first of all, there is a false faith, and it's rampant today. I think it's been rampant in every generation, really. But there are many today. There's a false faith that refuses to confess Christ. Look over at John 12. Turn to John 12 for just a moment. Jesus uh, confronted this in his ministry. 
John 12, toward the end of his public ministry in John, verse 42, Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. The rulers, many of them were believing in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. You see, there was pressure. Don't you dare confess him. You'll be put out of the synagogue. They believed in him, but they weren't about to confess him because they'd lose their religious place. They'd lose their social standing to be put out of the synagogue. You can think of the parallels today. Uh, many times people believe at a certain intellectual level, but they don't confess Christ because they want to lose face or whatever. And the Bible doesn't leave it there. Look at verse 43. It diagnoses the problem. For they loved, it was a heart problem, they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Faith without confession is spurious. It's false. Just like confession without faith is vain. Lord, Lord, I confessed you. I said, Lord, Lord, depart from me. You see, where there's real faith, there will be real confession. You can't have one without the other. They are inseparable. They'll go together. That's the second thing I would say. In the Scripture, faith, real faith, and confession go together. When a man believes in his heart, he'll confess with his mouth. And you can state that negatively, and Jesus did. He said it's from the heart that things come out from the lips. You know? All the things that come out from the lips, they come from the heart. And he stated it negatively because he said, don't worry, you know, like the religionists of his day were washing their hands with certain rituals and going through and never touching certain things and acting as if what goes in is going to defile the man. No, he says it's what comes out that shows the defilement in the heart. I'm quoting Matthew 15, verse 18 and following, where Jesus says it so clearly. So that's negatively stated, positively stated right here in our text. If a man believes, he will confess. Now, thirdly, sometimes people say, but you're making that into a work. I thought we're saved by faith alone. You can't say faith plus confession. That's meritorious again. No, Paul is is arguing here, is he not? Hasn't he made it as clear as he possibly can that it's nothing we offer God, it's what he did for us. This is not a meritorious work. And one thing I could do to, to show that perhaps would be to say, Uh, What James says, uh, the demons themselves believe and shudder, James 2.19. And Philippians says that one day everybody's going to confess with their mouth. Everybody's going to bow their knee, those in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. No, there's no merit. There's no saving merit in these things in and of themselves. It has pleased God to provide a complete salvation. And when a person believes, there's no merit in that. There's a turning loose of all merit and believing in Christ. And when you believe, you will confess. And that doesn't make it a meritorious work in any way. And then fourth, don't don't try to make this into some sort of catechism or some sort of confessional. That always fails. Jesus ties the heart to the mouth. Paul says, you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, but don't do what the church has been tempted to do right along and just say, well, then if we can just get people to say the right words, they'll be saved. And so we have people mindlessly mumbling 
today in church services. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And we've reduced it down to a little formula. And you don't have to look too far to know that's not what God is after, to just say the right words or say the right formula. And by the way, just because we're not too liturgical or creedal in our faith, there are many in, a, in settings like this that can say just as easily, I believe in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I went forward in 1990 and just rattle it off as a formulistic thing. Oh, no. You believe in your heart. And when there's real belief in the heart, you'll confess him. You'll confess him. So don't make it into a creed, but just the same. Fifthly, don't ignore this. Have you believed in Christ? Tell somebody. Tell everybody. It's not, you don't find in Scripture the option to just kind of go over in a corner and just believe. No. You believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. And you're glad to. Now, none of us confess him as boldly and publicly as we ought to. And I'm not talking about a life of evangelism here. I'm saying that when there is real heart belief, that person will want to confess it. And they'll want to make it clear, I'm no longer trusting in my anything. I'm trusting in my Savior who died and rose again on my behalf. And they love to gather where that's proclaimed. And we love to sing the story of our Savior's accomplished Death, burial, and resurrection, because that's our hope. He is our refuge. He is our very present help in time of need. And so you believe in your heart and you confess with your tongue. Let me summarize. We're saved by Christ alone. We lay hold of Christ by faith. Faith that lays hold of Christ always confesses him. Where there's real heart faith in Christ, there will be the desire to confess him as Lord. Now let me personalize it. Are you depending solely on the finished work of Jesus Christ? And if you're quick to start confessing with your mouth, well, yes, but, and start telling me about your religious deeds, I'm very concerned for you. I'm concerned that you're still caught up in the blindness of self-righteousness. You're still dreaming that you can make your way to God on your own. And your confession belies it. You're quick to tell about what you've done or what a man has to do, or it's not just enough to believe you've got to da-da-da, and you start into your confession. Now I'm asking you, have you believed in Jesus Christ? Are you relying fully on Him? Are you depending on the finished work of Christ? Don't say in your heart, I'll do this, I'll do that. No, he's done all that. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Take him at his word. It is finished. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Believing and Confessing, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called, A Brief Exposition of Romans. 
It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. We're thankful that you've chosen to listen to us on this station, and we invite you to downtownbible.org to download or listen to any past program or to subscribe to our daily podcast. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. We are saved by Christ. Make no mistake, we're not saved by walking forward in a meeting. We're not saved by our faith. We're saved by Christ. He's the Savior. Come to me, he said, you know. And the message of the church today and the good news that we proclaim all around the world and that our missionaries proclaim on every continent and that we seek to tell people at work in our neighborhood is not about a church or a philosophy. It's about a person, Jesus Christ, God's Son who came to earth for us. We are saved by Christ. Make no mistake about that. We lay hold of Christ by faith. Make no mistake about that. You won't be saved just because God chose you. No, only those who believe in Jesus Christ will be saved. Join us again next time as we continue on our series in the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Good News for All Who Call. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.